Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of the Cinematropolis.com. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and I'm what you might call uh, a champagne problem. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we're going to be doing a two reviews, two, count them two reviews of movies that are in no way alike in any way. Oh, man. In no way alike in almost any size, shape, or form. We're going to be reviewing the popcorn blockbuster, perhaps the last one of the summer, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, oh, excuse me. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> oh, that's important. They wouldn't be here otherwise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's literally the only reason they're like, oh, we can't sell it on Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, and then that re- spoiler-free review is going to be reviewed by... We're going to start with the popcorn, and we're going to end with the vegetables. I know we're doing it all backwards here mm-hmm. on the cinematic schematic, mm-hmm. because we're going to be reviewing uh, Lulu Wong's new film, The Farewell. It's received tons of critical acclaim, and it's a movie I've been looking forward to quite a lot all year long, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a great time. So I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, that The Farewell is definitely the raw broccoli, you know, uh, good for nutrition, and then... Um, Hobbs and Shaw is definitely the cheese that the goes on top cheese, that yeah. makes it more digestible for that, people who don't like their vegetables. That's true. If you were looking for <laughs> a double feature, yeah. If you wanted a double feature that makes no sense but yet is kind of still delicious, yes. There you go. Hobbs and Shaw and the farewell, and of course, uh, I'm joined by my co-host Laron Chapman, also known as a big can of whoop ass. Laron Chapman, oh, there it is. Welcome there it back is. to the cinematic <laughs> schematic. Wow. Um, so I, I'm going to say I'm the rock then, um, but no, it's fine. Um, hey, thanks for having me back. Always good to be here. You're always welcome to be my Dwayne the Rock Johnson Johnson. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, listeners, and I do want to remind you that if you want to keep up with our rev- all of our reviews, uh, analyses, and written work, you can head on over to the cinematropolis.com. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the cinematropolis or on Twitter at the cinematrop. We have so much to cover between these two movies. We're just going to go ahead and take this time right now, and we're yes. going to jump right into our review of Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Our target's name is Brixton. He's a ghost. We're going to need the best trackers in the business. Luke Hobbs. I'm what you call an ice-cold can of whoop-ass. Career lawman always gets his guy. We're going to need to operate outside the system. Deckard Shaw. I'm what you might call a champagne problem. Rogue former MI6 agent. Doesn't play well with others. If we stand a chance against Brixton, you guys have to work together. No way. This guy's a real ass. So the synopsis is super spoiler, LeBron. I don't know if I should read it for the listeners, but... um... I mean, it's out in the public, so I guess sure. I, sh- I should. Okay, am I allowed? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. All right. All right. Because I know everyone wants to sp- stay very spoiler averse on the Fast oh and God. Furious franchise. Yeah. 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 Tight. Not like, yeah. How <laughs> we kept secrets here. Lawman Luke Hobbs and outcast Deckard Shaw form an unlikely alliance when a cyber genetically enhanced villain threatens the future of humanity. Dun, dun, dun. And also that cyber genetically enhanced villain is played by Idris Elba, which I might add is the thing that got me back on board with this Let's movie. Let's be real. We're here for Daddy Elba. That's what we're here for. That is 100%. And nobody else. Nobody else. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, we're, there we're, are a couple. 
this is the, the let's say he's the prime rib that that's why we're here for this franchise it's the reason why we're here to, he's the, to jump oh, on this one if we're really thinking about this in terms of food and fast and furious it's really he's the mcrib of oh. of the uh of the movie, if I'll you will, you of, of the marketing, right? Yes, yes. Sans, he's limited, limited sans, time. Sans, sans onions. Sans mint onions. Sans, sans onions. But listen, he's the limited time offering <laughs> that we just can't resist. Yeah, exactly. But for some reason, he's probably going to come back at some, at point, some point anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, make an appearance. He has to now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, Laurent Chapman, uh, firstly, Luke Hobbs is a lawman. That's kind of silly. I don't even think this That's IMDb hilarious. synopsis. He's, he's a lawman. In fact, isn't the beginning of the movie show kind of how lawless he is as a quote-unquote lawman? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a joke. There's That has to be a joke. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, he's definitely, um, he knows his way around the law, all the loopholes for sure. All right. Well, Laurent Chapman, we have a history. We do of being fans of the Fast and Furious franchise. We are. It's a guilty pleasure. I mean, everyone has theirs. You know, some people is their Transformers. Some people, you know. Oh God, I, I know, feel bad for those. I people. feel bad for those people too. But hopefully, they're not our listeners. <laughs> I say that as a person who likes the Fast and Furious movies, yes, but yes, uh, you yeah. know. You know, uh, no, I'm with you. Uh, this is definitely a guilty pleasure. It's the thing you're most embarrassed to try to. It's not that I, I'm not embarrassed to admit that I like these. Sure. I'm embarrassed when I try to explain why I like why them. They, <laughs> and everyone always <laughs> stares at me like, "What are you talking about?" Well, like, you're thinking you just don't understand. You don't understand. I'm like, it's meta, and the the action shot really well. And they're like, Caleb, it's a really big dumb blockbuster. I'm like, but no, but like it's aware. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But but yeah yeah yeah. So yeah, I, I think. Um, Specifically, going through the history of the franchise, uh, first one solid, second one meh, third one meh mm. plus maybe, yeah. depending on your your. It was the uh, it felt at the time at the time it felt like the third Halloween movie where like it's its own entity and some people will swear by it as its own standalone film like oh it's great on its own but it doesn't feel like it has anything to do with the rest of the franchise it's like but we later find out that however 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 because this is fast and furious and because the producers got so desperate and happened to strike gold yeah fast and furious four better than i would argue two and three but not great but fast five fast five is where the franchise um since its insurgence or inception inception um with the original um where we saw like what the franchise was capable of being and it was okay that it was this big dumb blockbuster that was smart enough to know that it was a big dumb blockbuster and had fun with that that you know with that premise and so um yeah well you know. it, knew, it knew what it was it's really strange because i i when we were prepared when we were prepping for this podcast i was thinking oh it was trying to cash on the avengers bring the team together thing but then i realized oh wait it came out a year before the avengers I believe it was a 2011 film. So we have the Fast and Furious to thank for the Avengers. Let's just say that. Oh uh, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> no, yeah. No. But it's weird because it kind of did a similar thing where it's like, oh hey, here's these other four movies, and now we're gonna make this fifth movie where it all comes together and seems like it has a purpose all of a sudden, even though you know there was a no way this was intentional. Uh, the action set pieces were spectacular. They were lots of fun, well shot. Yeah. Um, the characters. There was just. It felt like a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. There's enough melodrama for you to pretend to be invested in that you kind of care a little bit. Yeah. But also, you're not really watching for that. You're watching to see the melodrama followed by crazy action set pieces. Yeah, it's 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 just a slick, polished, uh, you know, blockbuster cheese. You yeah. Know? It's you know, it's nachos with the 
extra jalapeno. That's right. You know? right. Movie and, nachos and, with jalapeno. And, and the jalapenos, of course, being the, the rock references. The, the rock Johnson Johnson, Dwayne the Rock Johnson Johnson was go. the jalapeno on top of that one. How exactly? It, because he that was the the first film they introduced Luke Hobbs in as a main character, and in that film, of course, he was hunting down the Fast and Furious gang, and now he has since become a member of the team, mm-hmm. and such a member of the team apparently that he is warranted his own spinoff with his new arch nemesis based on the seventh movie <laughs> Deckard Shaw played by Jason Statham. It does sound more ridiculous now that we describe it. <laughs> oh, well, we're just going high level, Lauren. We're not even getting into the we're not even talking about Letty and her memory loss and Yeah. It's a soap yeah. opera, folks. It is a Saturday morning cartoon met with a soap opera. That's it. And I love it. I do too. Except for the eighth movie, but we're not gonna we're not yeah. gonna talk yeah. about Fate of the Furious. So listeners, just know that we are fans of of the series as a whole. Right. They're fun. They're dumb. Yeah. And you just heard how silly it was for us to try to explain why we like them and what the heck's even going on. So, Laurent Chapman, as a fan of yeah. the franchise, yeah. yeah, how would you review Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw? Uh, I feel like, again, they're cashing in on a couple of things because uh, I think these, this franchise hinges on both um, spectacle and charm. And I feel like um, we got plenty of that between... You know the rivalry here with The Rock and uh, Jason Statham, and I think they know. You know they know these characters well enough. They're having fun. You can tell they're having fun with it. Um, and then it is. It is. It's over the top. It's ridiculously over the top. But in a winking at the camera sort of way, not at a like we're taking this very serious and you should too sort of way. And so I think. Wait, 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 wait! You're saying when The Rock drops out of a window and, and grabs with his bare hands the steel aluminum yeah. uh, elevator wire that and he then slides down, down while gripping at the speed of a hand. dude falling. <laughs> You're saying that, that this wasn't serious? I laughed out loud and I think, you know, but I think that was the point. That is what I'm saying is like, it is dumb, but it's supposed to be, you know? So if you're in on it, then it's fun. But, you know. I mean, I, I thought it was, I thought Idris Elba was very serious when he said, I'm Black Superman. He said he was Black Superman and he could have been. He could have been. He should have been. He also could have been Blade, and he also could have been. But you know, it's fine. We're not going to go into this. There's so many other things. Could have been Bond. Okay, anyway, could have been Bond. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Idris Elba. He got. He gets to be this guy. This, in this guy. Movie. <laughs> this guy in this movie. But he's great. Hey, also speaking of Idris Elba, Fair. I. He is here for yeah. it. Okay, yeah. he knows what kind of movie he's in. Right. And he is. He, he hits it like he's got. It's got the melodrama. It has the insert stupid, pointless backstory for and no his, reason, and, and he sells it. He sells it so and well. And his retractable um, motorcycle, I might add, it can, it folds the magnetic, cont- the magnetic one, the magnetic, and it folds and contorts underneath, uh, you know, uh, semis on the highway. It's just the most convenient thing to have. Like, I don't know how the motor works in it, or how anything, or <laughs> how he can he can like analyze people and know what moves they're going to move make yeah. before they they make yeah. it. Yeah. He scans their bodies with his whatever, his digital whatever what's going on in his brain and um, yeah, can produce uh, whatever it is they're getting ready to do, um, which I, would be great. I will um, also say, though, as great as he is and he, as well, he's, I'm telling you guys, Idris Elba probably is my favorite part of this movie. He oh, sells he it. He sells it. He sells every bit of it. Yeah. I was reflecting on this, and I'm not going to spoil it, but I have to say, despite him having an incredible screen presence and selling the threat sure. and danger, he actually, LeBron, if you think about it, he basically fails every time. every single time. Every time. Every he's single time. Like the worst time. villain. And, and in fact, he's given multiple chances to not fail. Yeah. <laughs> and he continues to do it. Yeah. So I just think that that's And considering hilarious. all of the advantages he has over them with all his advanced technology and what have you, especially in these situations, it seems like he's always just 
eight miles away from where he's supposed to be. So, yeah. I, I just think it's a good, a huge testament to Idris Elba, a man who can... Because if, if this was like just any other... If this was just some like no-name actor, yeah. it would have been the weak, sauciest villain yeah. of all time. There would have been no Max sauce here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, I, yeah. I mean, I mean on, this, on, the, yeah. on the burger. So, For sure. uh, yeah. So he, he does a great job. I think he's one of the highlights of the movie for me. I mean, uh, the chemistry between uh, Jason Statham and The Rock is really strong. Uh, they they play well off each other. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think it would work without that. And no. I think I think that's. I mean, that's part of the charm. That's the charm element that kind of sticks into it. It's fun watching them banter about things. Um, you know, their machoism, their egoism, and so I feel like what's interesting too for me most because like The Rock has proved time and time again through um, he's been an action star for years and he's embraced that because he, he always he was always doing performance art when he was wrestling you know right. like so that's always what that was in general he just kind of it's been reincarnated into film but i think what's interesting is the jason statham is someone i never would have assumed would be like humorous until this franchise and then i think maybe he was in spy some couple years ago with yeah. Melissa McC- like where you just kind of got an element where like he's actually pretty funny he has a a self-knowing humor as well. I feel like the movie, again, this actually hits on something I think the franchise has done well over the years, which is writing to their performance strengths, right? Sure. Like, uh, the, the movie does, I think, because they had seen him in two other fast movies where he's kind of comedic sometimes, they leaned full-blown into the comedy and they were able to write to what Statham does well sure. in this film. I would say there is a heavy dose of comedy in this that was not as present in some of the... I mean, like again, like you said, there's there's glimmers of that between the two of them. Like, And maybe like they had a couple of really strong one-liners that just hit and landed, and they're like, that could be its own movie. Just the two of them, like their own little adventures together. And they, you know, here I definitely think the comedy adds so much levity to it this time that it's the franchise always has moments of humor, but I feel like well, and that's part of the joy of the franchise is it's like so ridiculous, it's kind of hilarious, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think the chemistry works there. I think the spectacle works more than it doesn't. There are moments when I feel like it leans a little heavier into CG than I would like, however, sure, they do a, a good deal of stuff practically. Mm-hmm. which I think is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's not done practically, there's always a really funny gimmick, which makes it yeah. a joke. Yeah. So that's like the elevate running down the elevator thing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, I will say there are some very strange production choices in this movie. Sure. Um, Laurent, you might, uh, Laurent saw this movie. We saw this together at a screener and there is a scene in particular in the final act of the movie and I will not spoil it. However, it is basically Hobbs and Shaw standing in a, a field. A field, an at, open field. An open a fast, field. open, it, it, scenic field, for yes, sure, to be sure. Very but, huge. Like, like there's nothing around. But there's a, there's a montage that's going on around them, and they're having a conversation that's... It, it's just like a talk. It's like a normal yeah. talk about yeah, the plan. The plan, scene. the heist, or whatever it's going to go up next. And, and it is shot with a drone, or it <laughs> looks like a drone. A very expensive... Like it's shot. and it's a very expensive shot because it's like sweeping in and like out, something you would only capturing. See. It's like it's yeah, like what is it? This is like um yeah, I don't know. I would say a Kubrick film or something that's very something very extravagant and not I well. Mean, usually, this is the type of scene you see when two dudes are about to face off and kill each other. Right? right? If they were like, fighting, if they were yeah. if there was a, it was some kind of a brawl, it would make sense. But it, it just seemed they're just standing around, just standing talking. in a field and getting these aerial shots from like Huge eons away, and you're seeing all the scenery and just looming around them. And I was like, this is pretentious, and, and it doesn't need to be. No, <laughs> and so, no, and okay. So the first time I was like, this is a strange choice. The second time I was like, wait, this is a pattern. Yeah. Did they intentionally third time you're like, wow, they 
definitely chose to do this because it's sure because the other the other piece is not only the getting all these shots that scene in particular they're using crossfades with the editing yeah and strange. it's the weirdest thing because you're like it's just two dudes standing in a field yeah. talking yeah and I actually laughed out loud I thought no, it was hilarious it was because funny. it was like so wild and yeah. unfitting for what they were doing well, well, that it felt like it was like oh yeah. look at how goofy this is and we had a conversation afterwards it's basically like i was like i guess they just had an exorbitant amount of money to spend on this film and they're like hey so how can we how could we just spend the budget like what do you need to do let's have this extravagant conversation in a field and make it look way more cinematic than it really warrants you know so. either that or the rock had it in his contract somewhere that they had to showcase his home country <laughs> i would very be surprised, well, or, uh, be surprised. Yeah, I, I don't know well yeah maybe there, there, okay and, and i don't want to go down this rabbit hole at all because i actually like joining the rock johnson johnson yeah. um quite a bit i think he's got a great energy great charisma he is able to entertain and own the screen unlike anyone else He's got like a very distinct flavor. But I do know that there was also his ego butted heads with Vin Diesel's on the production of The Fate and the Fury, so much so that The Rock is no longer appearing in the ninth movie. And also he forced the studio to release this one first before doing Fast 9. Wow. So, um, you know, I don't know the full story there, so I'm not going to speak at a term. But I do wonder, there are certain things, basically the last act of this movie spends a lot of time going into his character, Luke Hobbs's backstory when I was... Yeah, I know it's Hobbs and Shaw, but I, I don't really feel like anyone was asking for that. And the timing of it is so strange. It's, very it's weird. like, why is that the button end of this already lengthy two and a half plus movie? I mean, well, two two hours and twenty minutes. It feels movie. like it a feels two hour, like a half hour long movie because this is the kind of film that definitely needed to be a lean hour forty five. Yeah, you might be able to make an excuse for an hour and fifty seven minute movie, two hours max. But like two hours and twenty five some odd minutes, it feels so like it's very long. It it, it feels an entire act too long. Yeah, I will say it yeah. right now. In fact, there is a climactic thing that happens two thirds way through the movie that I thought was the climactic finale, yeah. and then you're like, oh, it's not over. It ru- <laughs> There's like thirty minutes left. And the thing is, is that last thirty minutes is like genial and fine, but totally it's a little different. And also, it's like. It, I mean, pun intended, you know, it literally runs out of gas and it feels like, you know, once we're here, it's just treading water and it's like it's time for this to end now. I mean, I think the set pieces in the in that p- bit were yeah. more interesting than the one I just described about two thirds of the movie. However, I don't know, just from a pacing perspective, right. it just even my best friends have to go to their room at some point. Yeah, you know, and that's what that felt like. Well, and this is <laughs> this is another moment where I feel like Fast uh, Fast and Furious five, six, and seven generally did a pretty good job at pacing and yeah, not being overindulgent. Whereas Fate of the Furious, a movie we both did not like, kind of yeah. felt like it overbloated way too it, long, slogged, and it was uh, yeah, had all but, the Transformers problems. Yeah, all of them exactly. This feels like kind of in the middle. Yeah. It's got some of that. But it's not so and, overindulgent and poorly edited, you and, know. And but. maybe that's just the nature of the. I mean, I'm thinking about it now of this of this whole entire franchise is that we're getting you'll you'll get you know two really solid films, and then there has to be one that's just like a repository for again what's not quite what doesn't really quite work for the franchise, and then they find ways to take those pieces and and utilize it for something, and then highlight you know why we liked it to begin with. So it's like every couple of films we got to have one dumpster. You know, which is kind of what happened. You know, we had Tokyo Drift, we had the fourth one, 
you know, and then the fifth one was great, and the sixth one was great, and seventh one was great. So it was, I guess, it was just due for another for for a, for a massive yeah bomb <laughs> bomb. And well, I mean, it made, made, tons, it made, made its tons, money, made so. tons of money, but the, the studio fact, set a record. The studio doesn't care that we didn't like it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. So you know, I I just think uh, I think this is definitely a step back in the right direction. Because uh, I know after the eighth one, we were like, all right, we're done. Yeah. It's like we, we were on that train until the train crashed, and we're like, actually, maybe the train should be over. Yeah. This kind of brought me back into it. I feel like Idris Elba added a certain level, and also they're most certainly setting up for the next Fast and Furious, the next two Fast and Furious movies in this movie. Um, won't spoil anything, but there is clear setup. Um, also, ish, but I think we. I don't know. I feel like I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's your that's your call. I think um, it's a fun surprise, but also yeah. it's not like that. Yeah, I won't talk about it. Okay. I actually don't think I liked him in this movie. I feel like yeah, of the cameos, he was my least favorite. So another thing I'll mention is there are a lot of cameos in this movie, and they work to varying degrees. I don't want to spoil it. There is one from a no very popular known actor mm-hmm. who has not appeared in the franchise until this movie that it doesn't work. It it didn't work for me. It worked he he overdid it. He overdid it. Yeah. He overdid it a lot. Yeah. Uh and I didn't feel like it was I just got kind of annoying, I'll yeah, be honest. Sure. So that didn't work. Um and but there are others. But like, then there are reprises of like, you know, like again, Helen Mirren. Yeah. I think every movie can use a little more Helen Mirren. Exactly. She was fantastic. And she was fantastic in this, and she's in what? And she's in uh, her orange jumpsuit and she still has her lipstick and her, her vampiness going on. Right. She's just she's she knows what movie she's in, she's having a good time. She's oh, yeah. an Oscar winner and she's in a, a, a friend, you know, a really silly car chase franchise hey listen and man she's, I, and she is not she's not smug and phoning it in she's having fun she's having so. fun exactly and she just paid for her grandkids to go to their dream college in one mm-hmm. movie one fell swoop i'm sure she's loving that mm-hmm. you know uh, <laughs> there, it is. there <laughs> or, it is or she bought a yacht i don't know what it one was of one of the two uh so yeah i, I mean overall though the, yeah the cameos uh hit or miss I do think it's hilarious there are not one not two but three post credit sequences yeah and None of which I think contribute anything None. to the plot. Just zero. To, just for the gimmick of saying we zero. have a post-credit. Zero. It's like they had too much footage, and I will not say two of them may or may not have featured the cameo that I found annoying in the movie. Sure. So I felt like extra misled because <laughs> we sat through the entire credits, and yeah. they were like, okay. Yeah. I was sure one of them would be the, oh, yeah. here's yeah. the setup for Fast 9. I, I mean, in it's the like they had too much footage that, and that they, they cut out of the movie and they're like, oh, we got to use it somewhere. And in the future, this franchise, I think, would do better. I mean, would do well to, you know, listen to these kinds of, you know, con, you know these kinds of critiques just in general just because I feel like if you had sliced off a solid 20, 25 minutes of this, then all the charm, all the spectacle, all the ridiculousness of it, this would have just been a lean, polished, fun, you know, and it still is that. It's just one of those things where it's like with that excess yeah. of, of uh, excess fat, you know, it does prolong its welcome somewhat. And then it does start to strain on the patients because you were only invested to a certain degree when you walked in anyway. This was so. a, this was a, this was a, this was a good popcorn movie. A good popcorn movie. It that could maybe have, had it a could little have bit been too much butter on the exactly, on the, you know. exactly too much butter. Yeah, that's right. We're gonna just go. go yeah, keep going for it. Just playing and, with these food references. Uh, it, I don't want to say it could have been great, 
like as in like a true great movie, but I think it could have been a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but just by like you said, editing, chopping stuff down. Yeah, yeah. simple things could have made this punctuated. Like, right. We spent too much time in places that we didn't need to. Yeah, absolutely. So on that, sir, uh, let's give our Yelp review. Oh, excuse me, let's give our rating uh, for the movie. Uh, so for our listeners uh, who have just now tuning in, uh, our rating system starts with a buy the film on Blu-ray. So you you go see this movie in the theater and then you purchase it when it, once it hits Blu-ray, digital on demand. Uh, there's the full price, which is where you go pay to see it in a VIP screening. Maybe even by dinner, it said the VIP screening. You spend a lot of money. Uh, then there's the matinee, which is self-explanatory. Uh, there's the stream it option. And then lastly, there is the skip or trash it option. So what say you, Laurent Chapman? I can't go beyond matinee with this. I feel like that's that's probably where this lands. See this on a matinee, lighthearted. Um, definitely a, I mean, an entertaining use of two and a half hours, you know. Um, but um, seen in the afternoon when you're not too tired, and you know you still got the rest of your day ahead of you, so it's not too offensive. So yeah, yeah, I certainly would not go not go full price in any capacity. I mean, I feel like matinee. If you're a fan of these movies, or if you're a fan of The Rock or Jason Statham, actually no, or Idris Elba, any of the three of them. You like any of the three of them, you're in good shape. But uh, if you don't like them or you don't care you're kind of passive mm-hmm. just stream it just stream it yeah, yeah. i mean It'll play just as well yeah mm-hmm. it, it, it's fine i mean I, I think if you are a fan and you can fast forward you you can you, <laughs> if you're a fan you can definitely you should see this on the big screen because it's a big fun time yeah it's a spectacle yeah. but you know if you're just kind of like eh, fast and furious whatever i mean yeah just stream it maybe maybe maybe, maybe. like <laughs> you can live without it yeah, also yeah, yeah, you can live without it, it. but you know if you're at least marginally interested in this franchise, or the actors, it has all the components of what you would go to see yeah. a movie like this for. Agreed. Agreed. And if you're a person who doesn't like these sort of things, then you'll probably dislike it as much as the others. So, mm. all right, Laron Chapman. So that those are our ratings for Hobbs and Shaw. So that is playing in a theater near you right now, and probably every theater near you right now. As a matter of fact, uh, but Laron Chapman, we're also going to review another movie that is a lot healthier for the diet, mm. might help the digestion go down, mm. might change your perception yes. on on things. Uh, and that movie is Lulu Wong's The Farewell. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into our review. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Manette is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying. When people get cancer, they die. We'll have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go then we'll find out right away. So this IMDb synopsis is much different, and you could argue it spoils the film, but let's be real. This is not a plot-driven film. The synopsis reads, A Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while left to live and decide to keep her in the dark, scheduling a wedding to gather before she dies. That's the plot. That's the whole plot. That's the whole movie. That's that's it. That's the whole movie. Mm -hmm. This is a character study. This is a culture study. And this is a, a... an analysis and exploration of families and Chinese culture of the themes like coming to terms with family traditions that maybe you don't quite understand yeah, and the value of those things. And uh, yeah, it's about a lot of things, a lot of things that really hit uh, close to home. But before we get into all of those things, the Ron Chapman, what did you think of the farewell? 
Um, I thought this was a very fantastic drama. Um, I think if we're going with food references here, it's a nice, comforting um, bowl of pho. You know, you know, uh, it's just balm for the soul. You know, um, it's just it's good for you. It feels good, and you feel healed after watching. You feel it. warmed. Yeah. But also, like you ate something healthy. That you ate something healthy. Like yeah. you did something good for yourself. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's. I think it's great. Um, I think it's just. Uh, it's it's ripe with heart, humor, and humanity. And I think that um, Aquafina in the lead role is just so natural. She's great. She's so relatable. Mm-hmm. So relatable. So natural, and so and just you know, um, and just really compelling. You know, to watch. Very, it's very understated performance too. It's not showy in any in any way, and she normally is because she comes from a background in comedy. So it's it, it's really um, it's really rich and ripe and and, um, and textured a textured drama. So yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And actually, the the, the thing is, uh, the thing I really like about this is is part, uh, largely because of Aquafina's performance and just the story in general. So uh, I'm a white male who grew up in the United States with no lineage outside of the United States that I, you know, I mean, my family came from Europe, right? So uh, I've been fascinated with Japanese culture uh, via anime and gaming and all of things, but I don't know as nearly as much about Chinese culture. Sure. And uh, so I don't, I don't really have a, a super well-versed or well-researched, you know, understanding of like how the family system works in, in China. So the thing I really liked about this movie was that it helped me connect the very accessible main character. It helped me connect on a, I feel like a deep, pretty deep level with a character who I would probably never encounter in the real world and certainly would not get, I will almost certainly will never have that sort of experience where I can explore exactly that Chinese or Chinese American perspective. Sure. Because even she's a fish out of water when yeah. she, in China, yeah. right? And uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, one of the reasons I love Moonlight from a couple of years back, which is this is me encountering a character that it really is a, from a world and a place that I wouldn't visit, that I right. wouldn't wouldn't really encounter or know much about. So. Right, right, but it, but it's a world that exists nonetheless. Yeah, it's a it's a real yeah. real world thing. I mean, this uh this story is based directly off of Lulu Wong's own own story. Yeah, uh, she actually did a This American Life uh, episode. Uh, I think I want to say in a couple years back. So uh, this is definitely a real world story with a, a, so this is a person kind of telling an autobiographical version, a fictionalized version of her own real story. In fact, her grandma is a real person. The grandma in this movie is based off her real grandma, who, by the way, oh, was a spoiler? Mm. I'm not going to say it. Yeah. It's based off of a real person, right? So, you know, I just think that, uh, this movie does effectively one of my favorite things about movies, which is it helps me uh, empathize and place myself in the shoes of someone who I otherwise would not have that opportunity. Yeah. And it's eye-opening, right? It is eye-opening. But because I, I also, as a person with a, you know, a family, you know, f- close family ties, you relate to all of those. Th- you, you pick up on the things that you do have in common, but then also kind of highlights the different experiences that I don't have. Yeah. And I just think it's done yeah. in such a really... It's the, not in your face. It's just very yeah. honest, raw 
story. The beautiful thing about stories like this is you start finding the commonalities and the differences. You know what I'm saying? Like their customs are different. How, but how they still have the same feelings. They still have the same emotions. They still deal with the same problems. You know, they just have a different method for how they channel it, how they, you know, combat certain things. And I think it, it was a brilliant idea to have, again, this, you know, American Chinese, you know, um, hybrid of, of, of a character there with Aquafina. Um, and to see kind of the disconnect that she has kind of with both worlds, you know, there's a really uh, poignant very moment whenever she's uh, in the hotel where the um, uh, the concierge says to her, you know, like, so, um, you know, so is America better than, than you know, and he's like, uh, well, it's, it's, it's different. different. It's different. Yeah. So better, right? It's like just different, actually. And he know? kept he kept pressing. He's like, yeah. And I'm she so wasn't going to give him a different answer because right. she didn't have one. Right. She really she couldn't say whether she liked one more than the other because they were both a part of her identity, you know. And so, um, even if there she did have somewhat of a disconnect to the, her more you know traditional roots, you know, um, she had a connection in some way to both. So, yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great point, and that's also something that played into the production of this film. So, in prepping to see this movie, I listened to the Terry Gross interview, uh, uh, All Things Considered. It's a great interview with the director Lulu Wong, and talking about the duality there, she actually had a hard time getting this movie made for that very reason because mm-hmm. uh, the American distributors originally wanted her to make the character getting married the main character. Oh no, yeah. Right, I don't know if that would have worked the same right. way. Oh, it, I mean, it might have been a different film. I'm not saying it would have been bad, but I don't know. I don't know if it would have been as, as interesting. Right, I, I think it uh, would have fallen more into the tropes. my big fat my big fat Greek wedding. Well, that's exactly what she said. That's what they wanted. They wanted oh, my, no. my my big fat Greek wedding, but in China, and they didn't want to have. They wanted everything in English, nothing in Chinese. No, I um, loved. I love the natural. Right. I, I mean, I don't mind subtitles. Some people might, but I I think it it just added so much authenticity oh, to it. I. I think it elevated the authenticity greatly. I, I it, this movie would have been missing had they done full English. It, and it, it was about sixty forty. I would, I would say. say it was yeah. more subtitled than it wasn't. I agree, but I don't think it was a complicated story, so it was, oh, no. it was easy to follow even if you weren't reading. You know, so. But the other part of it is the Chinese distributors said that Aquafina's character, main character, was too Western. I, I remember reading that, yeah. She was not their choice, and then she stripped herself of makeup and get, came in for an audition and then blew him away. So it was one of those things where it's like, you know, um, you know, never underestimate, you know what I mean, like a missed opportunity there. And so it's great she did yeah. it because she's yeah. perfect for it. Right. She's absolutely perfect yeah, for it. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it's really cool that Lou Wong was able to kind of finesse and find you know, partners, financial partners or whatnot, who yeah. are able to get the movie made because, you know, that just kind of goes to show uh, making a, a film about like these different cultures can be challenging sometimes. Oh, I want to make this, I want to tell my story about how I went to China and this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's not Chinese enough or yeah, well, it's not accessible to American audiences right. so you need to change X, Y, Z to make it happen. So I just think it's uh, really that fact really touches on, I think, one of the core themes of the movie even, yeah. which is... Yeah. Being foreign in America to some extent, but definitely being foreign in China, which is where your your heritage is, right? right. Um, I also find found the just again like the deep dive exploration of hey, maybe this tradition is not great, but we need you to come around and understand why we're doing it. There are reasons right. we're doing it, right? right. And uh, you know, which I think is something a lot of people can relate to. Hey, there's sometimes there are family traditions or decisions made by the family that ultimately, yeah. You know, well, you roll with, and, and, and then as an audience, we we kind of um, 
um, inherit the same respect and understanding for it, you know, even if we don't necessarily agree with it. Cause I think I said that, um, when I was there, you know, like how they deal with grief is different than how we deal with it here. You know, like where we wear our emotions on our sleeves and it's all about being vulnerable and expressing yourself and being honest about things. And, you know, and then there, you know, it's all about strength and reserve and, you know, um, you know, being a pillar, you know, of that, you know, and not, you know, um, not emoting, everything because it's it's shown seen as a sign of weakness you weakness, know? yeah and i think that's interesting because we're having a, a deep dive conversation about like toxic masculinity and how males aren't supposed to be this way so it's interesting to see that con that that tension you know and that ideology in, you know in both from different worlds well, well and i think and i think i love it this different worldviews and it's it's making it makes you really think about how we how we envision these ideas right so in China, that's kind of respectable, but in America, we've it's such a different take that it's almost there's so much negativity Centered surrounded around. around not sharing your feelings, and I think there are good reasons for that. Sure. However, in China, that's uh, at least as portrayed in the film, that's kind of like you said, a pillar of their culture, a sign of uh, solidarity among family yeah. members, yeah. Uh, and because you can see them all fighting it, they're all fighting the emotion. They all have it. It's all there. It's like right in the you know right. Well, I think that's the be- most beautiful part of that movie too. Is just everyone is at this. Basically, this like long funeral for their grandma, yeah, yeah. and all of, but they none of them can say it. And I, I just thought, um, you know, it was hilarious when the, the 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 groom getting married, the bride and groom were like pressured. And by the way, they were pressured into getting married specifically so, so the that they could, could come, come together. In, together to visit their mom and passing away. And that's kind of weird. And I don't know how I feel about that. But even even the look on his face is yeah. complicated because it's like ah, I'm getting married. I'm not sure I was ready. Oh my god, my grandma's gonna die mm. i can't tell her look on his face in particular the whole movie because he was always like just on the yeah him and aquafina were always on the just on the brink of like crying yeah. Yeah, or, or 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 showing emotion sure and I, I found those performances uh subtle in a lot of ways yeah to be really powerful yeah absolutely absolutely and and, and it was also just fun being so steeped in this because in their culture um it, the closest thing in um memory that kind of re- reminds me of it is uh crazy rich asians which again, uh, I mean, dealing with a romantic comedy concept, but also too, you know, Americanized, you know, uh, Western, you know, Westernized, um, uh, and Asian people coming and seeing all of the different um, uh, traditions, customs. There, there's always food around. There's always, there's always a, a communal effort to help do different things, like everything they do together. Like I mean, there's a scene where the bride earring is on the floor. All five of them are on the floor, like, you know, on their, on all fours looking for it. You know, just it's just interesting how they work like a unit, you know, and with everything. Um, it's very similar to like Italian families and what have you, where there's just so much. It's about conversation. It's about fellowship. It's about, you know, um, you know, just kind of respecting your elders, respecting your ancestors, respecting the, the customs for, for reasons that, you know, may not be explained, but are just always understood. You know, it's their form of religion in a way, you know, Um but I found it uh, very fascinating, and um, and also, again, like there's a humbleness you have watching it. You know, even if I don't really understand it, it makes sense to them. You know, and they have their justifications for it. Right, and and I I do feel like to a large degree the movie does a very good job at helping you understand their justifications. So you know, it's just one of those things where I I do feel like for me it's a it's a much different movie, but it does feel like this year's Moonlight, where I feel like I walked into this movie. Um, expecting one thing and being so just f- taken aback by it 
and shown such a wildly different experience that I, uh, from a world I will never experience on my own, to, that I found powerful and enlightening, um, and also positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is um, it's helpful. It's, it's empathetic. And this it's this week, last weekend has been uh, a dumpster fire in the real world, to be frank. And uh, this movie made me feel that even in dark times of a family or hard times of a family that ultimately humanity is a beautiful thing you know because yeah. uh, the movie i feel like is very honest about how difficult the situation is how it's wearing on the family but the beautiful thing is the family coming together yeah and there's something really beautiful about that it's it's bittersweet mm-hmm. it's kind of sad but at the end of the yeah. day the, but but the, the the family being together i think yeah. is the thing that i walk away with as like this beautiful triumphant heartwarming thing in the end yeah for sure and I think I think them coming together too, like you said, that 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 heartwarming, you know, commonality they have, you know, in their grief, you know, how they're dealing with it and how it manifests in different ways in them, because um, they all they all have a moment, you know, where it hits them in a different way, you know, and and there's and it just shows you there's no right way to feel, you know, but they're at war obviously with their their custom and their ideologies that they have, their emotions, other family members, mm-hmm. you know how to yeah how to process that where you know she wears it she comes there and it's right there on her face and they even they critique her for it you know like you have that sad face don't 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 bring that around her you know and she does the whole smiley face thing mm-hmm. yeah the one beautiful thing i thought that they did really well is they do make um the the grandmother or you know not what is it nine nine yeah. Um, they make her um, a, a fully embodied, lovable character. Oh, oh yes. You know, because like, I think if they hadn't, then it would have been harder to hinge, all, you know, all of our emotions and empathy with these characters. But because she is such a burst of life and she's hilarious and funny when you see her on screen, you know, it, it makes it bittersweet because we understand why they love her too, you know, because we've grown to fall Well, you, you, understand, you understand why the family would be so devastated by this loss and, mm-hmm. and understanding the value that she adds to the entire, each member of the entire family, you know? Right. Uh, which again is, leads to the different experiences these characters bring to the table. They all have a different relationship with her, but they all love her. And you kind of see those moments come out. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, it's, this is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Absolutely, yeah. Hands down. Uh, and it's and unlike <laughs> Hobbs and Shaw, um, it does not overstay its welcome. It's a very lean hour and 30, it goes by fast. 38 minutes. Yeah. But it doesn't need to be longer. It doesn't need to be. It, it understands exactly. The story is ripe and full and, and you know as it is. It doesn't need um, any more screen time. I felt like we spent just enough time with all these characters to get the message across. And um, and it is. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's heartwarming. It's really it's well shot. There's not very many close-up shots, but I found really fascinating. They do a lot. No, a lot of, of wide from wide angles. shots or from kind of mid shots. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's I very effective. That it's very effective in that way too. I mean, I'm so used to uh, first-time filmmakers for the most part, you know, leaning on like close-ups and here. Uh, very, very. They let the story som- breathe. Visually you know? very somber. Lots yeah. of grays. Lots yeah. of grays. Lots of dirty things. Um, the score I, was very somber too. The the he, it was. It, I don't know if it was howling or like you know it was a woman's voice right you now that was um kind of humming underneath yeah. everything until you get to the wedding which is a lot sure. more colorful and a little more fun which makes sense but and there's, um, and there's humor in this too there's also a very oh it's funny, a, no it's a very it's, funny movie yeah, yeah. i don't want to make it sound like it's so dreary and, and maudlin but it's, it's it is actually very humorous throughout there's a there's a there's always a glimmer of hope throughout all of the sadness so you know it is there is that bittersweetness but well it's and also there's the, the the sadness and bittersweetness that's below the surface is always underneath again it's, it's melancholy these, it's melancholy these characters are having beautiful poignant touching moments with their grandmother 
in which they believe are her last days. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And except for the grandmothers know it. Like, so it just kind of creates this weird tension. Mm. Every single thing you see is like, oh. It's kind of like when you go back and rewatch Game of Thrones and you're like, oh, that's the last time XYZ happens. Mm -hmm. By the way, we didn't mention Hobbs and Shaw. They have massive freaking Game of Thrones spoilers in there. That was rude. Yeah. Very rude. Very rude. If you haven't, yeah, if you have not seen the finale to Game of Thrones, please don't uh, watch Hobbs 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 and Shaw. Shaw. You probably won't anyway, but if you did, you know, they definitely spoiled some things there, but yeah. 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 Back to the farewell though. Sorry. Uh, Yeah. No, no, no. (laughs) I had to make that note. Caveat. We (laughs) have to add that during the Hobbs and Shaw piece, but um, no, yeah, I, uh, this has my highest recommendation, kind of going down our buy full price matinee stream, skip trash at sale or or, yeah. or sale ranking uh, recommendation system. Uh, this is definitely a buyer. This yeah, is a this full is price. A, yeah. This is a movie, a movie I fully hope will be at the Oscars in some yeah. capacity. I don't yeah. know if it will, but I, I I certainly think it's up in that conversation. I think so. Absolutely, I think it's absolutely worthy of it. I think if um, if we don't just have so many top heavy, you know, heavy hitting dramas here in the fall time. I don't see how this would be overlooked. I mean, it's one of those films that it is a quiet, lean film. Um, very, very, you know, but I feel like, I feel like it's hard. It's so pure. And it's just one of those things that I think is going to be on people's minds, kind of like a Juno or a, you know, a, something like Maybe a, a Grand Budapest Hotel. Grand, yeah. Just you know, one of those early in the year and the people just keep talking about just it. Just keep talking about it. I feel like it will. I, I just don't. Hey, if, you're, if we're still talking about it after the Toronto Film Festival, it's in good shape. Yeah. Which is right yeah. around the corner, by and the way. And it's the perfect counter to like i mean all the cynicism all the kind of bleakness in the world right now it's it's a it's a movie that's just so full of life and humanity and it's vibrant and it's just i think it's a great um it's i think it's a film that's healing afterwards yeah you know so. yeah i think healing is a great way to watch yeah. in fact i think after this weekend i need to, i watched it on saturday and we're recording this on a monday i think after the last 48 hours i need to go watch it again to be healed a little more but sure, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um but uh not to bring too much real world baggage here but um yeah I, you know not only am i going to recommend it i'm going to say go look up the, the this American Life uh, episode yeah. on this. I think it's good. It's a different perspective. It's more done like as an investigative journalism story. Done a story. Um, and also, I would check out her uh, Lulu Wong's interview with Terry Gross. I found all of this very insightful. Um, uh, and again, just this movie does a thing that I think movies at their best do, which is just help you empathize with worldviews you never experienced and reconsider how you view certain things and uh, and makes you feel good all at the same time. Yeah, there's not a moment a character, a plot device, anything like that in it that doesn't feel pure, honest, and real. Right. You know, right. so... Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing that feels good about it. It doesn't feel good because it's like trying to manipulate you into feeling good. It feels good because it just feels so true and honest mm-hmm. and relatable. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, that will wrap up our review of The Farewell. So, obviously, if we're going to recommend one of these films for you to go see. <laughs> go see The Farewell. Go see The Farewell. Go see The Farewell. It's gonna, you're you're going to like yourself a lot more after you see that movie versus Hobbs and Shaw, which, right. you know. And yeah, let the teenage boys go see, you know, um, teenage boys and dad. Take, they t- take them to go see Hobbs and Shaw. You know, and then for the more... If I was their dad, I would take them to see the This farewell. is fair. Unless unless I'm your dad, then we'll be seeing all these type of movies. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, all right. We're going to get some culture. Get get cultured. Uh, all right. Laron Chapman, where can people keep up to uh, with you until our next month's podcast? Uh, people can follow me and all my excursions in the film world here in Oklahoma City at um, Freaky AF Film um, on Instagram. Or you can follow me at Laron Chapman on Facebook. 
Excellent, excellent. Of course, you can find me tweeting about all the things, films, television, video games, over on Twitter, at Seamasters Talk. That's letter C, Masters Talk. You can also find me at Seamasters Talk on Instagram and Letterboxd, so check me out in those places. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to this month's episode of the Cinematic Schematic. We'll catch you again next time. <laughs>